Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your resurrection, that you died on a cross for us, and Lord, all that that entails. And so, Lord, help us to embrace that today and help us just to, um, to know a bit more of your goodness and let that drive who we are and what we do for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So, happy Easter. Um, today, uh, so just uh, if you're visiting or um, if you're new, uh, we have a habit uh, that we believe very um, deeply uh, of, of going through the scripture chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Um, and so we go through an Old Testament and the New Testament and Old Testament and New Testament kind of marching through the scriptures that way. And, uh, and yet, uh, usually at Easter time, uh, we'll take a break from that and kind of talk about uh, Easter or some aspect of that. And so uh, that's where we find ourselves today. So all that say, we finished Jeremiah and Lamentations uh, two weeks ago. So if you come back next week, we'll start First Thessalonians. And so I just encourage you, as, uh, especially in these days that we live in now, uh, Thessalonians, First um, uh, and Second Thessalonians are great letters uh, to encourage us about uh, really just, you know, basic church doctrine type stuff that Paul addresses with the Thessalonians, but also um, probably short of Revelation and perhaps a couple of chapters at the end of Matthew, um, some of the, the most... Um, uh, descriptive and, and specific um, uh, scripture about uh, future events and the second coming of Christ. And so um, my hope is, and you can pray for me, my hope is through that we'll get a lot of clarity on some of those things. Because I don't know if you noticed, but um, in these days, you know, we hear all kinds of, you know, do you think that this is a reference to that? And do you think that so-and-so is the Antichrist? See, I didn't say his name out loud, right? Do you think so-and-so might be the Antichrist? Or you think this, or you think that? And, and I think it's important that we know, uh, first of all, we're looking for Jesus, right? We're not looking for, um, well, we're just looking for Jesus. And um, he's the author and the finisher of our faith. And it's important to be aware of things. Uh, it's important to be um, uh, comforted by these things, as, as Paul encourages the Thessalonians. But um, it's also important to keep things in perspective and uh, some of those things. So, right, by about this point in the, in the, in the teaching, you're a little worried that I'm going to go off and, and spend more time on Thessalonians, and so I'm not. So everybody just take a big sigh of relief. That's next week. Easter. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Right, um, and let me just encourage you just from the from the outset, uh, because I don't know the hearts of everybody in the room, um, but there's lots of good evidence, very good evidence, by people that are that have been written over the years by people that are a lot smarter than I am, that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical fact. Okay. Lots of good evidence on that. If you, um, and let me just encourage you to be honest, intellectually honest, because this, is, this has eternal consequences, frankly. 
I'm just, I, I couldn't be more serious right now. If you question, if you find yourself saying, is that really real? I mean, that's an eternal question. That's an eternally significant question. And uh, let me just encourage you that you need to go through this life knowing the answer to that question. There's nothing more serious uh, in all of life. And I think sometimes we, we just put it in, we put that question maybe in one of those serious things of life. Like, do you ever notice in life there's a lot of things you're supposed to do? Right? Do you know the list? How often are you supposed to change your oil? 3,000 miles. How often, are you supposed to, how often are you supposed to get a colonoscopy? Depends on your risk factors. How often, uh, you know, I mean, it, 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 you got a list of things, right? How often you change your furnace filters? Once a month. You ever had the, the heating and cooling guy come to your house to repair your broken furnace? And he says, what's he going to say? How often you clean your filters? And you say, well, once every, like, 34 days. And he rolls his eyes, and he looks at you, and he says, what'd you expect? <laughs> right? I mean, there's this list of things that we're supposed to, like, kind of put on that list. And frankly, I mean, you know the answer. None of us, none of us do all those things. Right? But let me just tell you. Where... You know, I, I, I love the question Pontius Pilate asked. He said, what, he asked of the people, he said, what must I do, what should I do with this man Jesus? And we all have to answer that question personally. And there is no more significant question to be answered in all of humanity. And it's very serious, it's very real, and it has eternal consequences. Okay. So, if you <clears throat> are not sure, or maybe you're a skeptic like Josh McDowell was a skeptic, then uh, I encourage you to read More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell, or The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, and I'd be happy to get a copy of one of those for you. And there's, there are others, uh, to be sure. But make sure you're clear on, the, on that answer, okay? So... We're in church. You did show up for church. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say we don't need to like kind of analyze that question more than just to, to acknowledge it, right? Sometimes we have those questions, and it's fair to answer those questions, and the answers are there, okay? But now let's assume that we all are okay with the resurrection. I think there's a, there's a significant question then maybe to us as believers— uh, to us who are kind of, uh, you know, just trying to navigate this life and, and all of that, we might say, well, what is, how does the resurrection affect me? How does that impact my life today? And I think if we look at it, and, and honestly, I, I kind of wrestle with this a little bit as I'm kind of like how to, uh, what we want to talk about this morning. And uh, this doesn't happen to me very often, but I really feel like I was driving down the road a couple weeks ago, and uh, 
I really believe the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart that um, how to how we're going to talk about this. And really, the question then came to my mind: How does the biblical account of the resurrection impact my life? Because we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we know it even if if we accept it and understand it as a historical event and a thing that we grew up maybe learning about in Sunday school, that's one thing. But how does the biblical account, because we're all about the scripture, how does the biblical account impact my life? And are there some insights from the biblical account of the resurrection that could uh, encourage us this morning? Fair enough? So that's where we're going to go with this. Now, I'll just tell you at the outset, there are some things that are in the scripture and some things that are not in the scripture, right? John, uh, in his gospel, the last verse in his, in, his, in his gospel, I love this, he said, and there are, there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Right? And so, yeah, if you wrote everything that Jesus did and all the impact that he had on, on everybody's life, it, yeah, the books would, you know, fill up the world. So God, in his wisdom, recorded the events of the resurrection specifically for us. Does that make sense? So with that, if you don't mind, we're going to hop around a little bit today. Is that all right? Are we okay to hop around a little bit? Easter. Some guys got it. That's all I'm saying. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I didn't think of that hop around thing until after I said it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. These words would have been written by Paul to the church at Corinth about 56 AD. So think about it like, you know, 25 years after the resurrection. So it's kind of, you know, he's kind of reporting it now and he's kind of, um, you know, we don't need to go through a study on first Corinthians, but Paul is addressing a lot of uh, really misunderstandings in the Corinthian church, one of which was about the resurrection. And so one of the things I think is just uh, maybe helpful place to start, he said this, starting in verse three, Paul said, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. And again, Paul says it as a matter of fact, just like I said it as a matter of fact. If you have a question about that, please honestly ask the question and, um, and study the, the evidence. And he was buried, and then he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, And that he was seen by Cephas, that's another name for Peter, and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep, means they've died. After that, he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. And so, um, you know that Paul, uh, early there in Acts, was a persecutor of the church. Uh, Jesus met him on the road to Damascus in a bright light, and that's, that's what most people say he's referring to there. 
But there's a thing where I want to, and this is one of the things that, as I was driving down the road, I believe the Lord spoke to me um, in kind of a thought in my head. And that was this. Paul says, you know, he was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. So somewhere along the line, Jesus has an encounter with over 500 people. And there's no other reference to it in the Scripture, specifically. Now, you know, there are some where it's talking to his disciples. It could have been talking to a bunch of disciples. Didn't specify necessarily the 12, you know, there towards um, the end of Matthew specifically. Um, but why don't we have an account of that 500 gathering? And this is kind of where, I'm, where my brain is going with this. I'll just kind of give you a little bit of the punchline and then we'll go through it. Is that all right? The punchline is this. We are a society that tends to focus on moving the masses, right? Marketing moves the masses. Church marketing moves the masses, right? We want to move the masses. And for sure, God moves the masses, right? For God so loved the world that He gave the only, His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him but should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world, the masses, and yet the individuals in that world, right? And I wrestle with this a little bit. Uh, forgive me, this is kind of who I am. For one thing, I'm a father of nine children, okay? Now, father of nine children, you know, we, I've, I've taught my kids from a young age, we're a team, we move as a team, okay? But in the, uh, along the way, I've, and, and to be fair, I've had to learn this a little bit. Um, along the way, it's critical that each of them knows their value as an individual and not just as a part of a team. And we really, in a lot of ways, if we think about it, we all wrestle with that in some, some extent. Is that fair? Yeah. You ever feel like, does, does God notice me? Or am I just like part of the team? Right? Do I have a name? Or am I just part of the team? Am I a person with values and conviction and strengths and weaknesses and victories and failures? Or am I one of the 500? Right? And I think if we're honest, we all wrestle with that to some extent. Right? And if we're real honest, we all have like either that thing that we hope nobody ever finds out about, or that thing that makes us feel insecure, or that thing that makes us feel weird, or that thing that makes us feel like we don't fit in. Or that thing, that thing, that thing, that thing. And we all have that thing, right? And probably a good number of us could probably right now blurt it out if I said it. What's your thing? And you could probably all give me one thing, right? Or not all. I mean, it's very common. Let's just put it that way, right? And so there's often this, this idea that we need to know that God for sure moves the masses, but God cares about me. 
And what I want you to know today is that God loves you. God loves you. If you had been the only person on earth, in all of history, in all of humanity, Jesus Christ would have come from heaven, died on a cross for you, rose from the dead to the living to overcome death so that he could have eternal fellowship with you. Because he knew that you were born a sinner. And you had a sin problem that could only be overcome, the, the, the consequence of which could only be overcome by his death, burial, and resurrection. He would have done that for you. Everybody got that? So, does the biblical account of the resurrection give us any insight into all of that? I believe it does. I believe it does. Look at uh, Mark chapter 16. And where I want to go with this is, you know, there's different, you know, there's, uh, we just read Paul's description in 1 Corinthians of what went on at the resurrection. You know, there's, uh, there's the four gospel accounts, you know, there's, there's uh, some in early in Acts chapter 1, you know, Jesus is resurrected and he's talking to his disciples. And, and so, you know, I kind of came up with this question in my mind, like, what was the order of things? You know, because everybody kind of has their own little perspective, Right. And some people would say, well, there you go. The Bible contradicts itself. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. It's just given us different pieces of the, of the puzzle, right? Of the picture, right? And everybody tells a certain perspective on, a, on the same story. Does that make sense? It doesn't invalidate the story. Again, I told you I got you know, a lot of kids, right? Well, two kids come in from the field, right? They're both crying, or maybe one of them's crying, Right? Person comes in, he's going to tell you a story, right? You say something like, something really insightful, like, what happened, right? And it starts out with, well, I was just minding my own business, when all of a sudden, right? And you think, wow, that, guy's a, that other guy's a jerk. He needs serious punishment, right? Second guy comes in, right? You get a different perspective. Now you've got to put the picture together, right? So there's always different perspectives on the same picture, on the same event. And so, um, so I thought it'd be helpful to read a few of these, okay? Mark chapter 16, verse 1 through, starting in verse 1. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come out, come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? And when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter... There's your first clue. Why did he say, and Peter? What did Peter do three nights before? Denied three times. I don't know that guy, right? Think Peter was discouraged? Think Peter felt like a loser? Think Peter ever felt like maybe sometimes you feel? For sure. Go tell his disciples, and Peter, that he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, and they were, 
for they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So these women, they go to the tomb, they find the tomb empty. The angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Now flip over to John chapter 20. Starting verse 1, Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the, tomb, the stone had been rolled away, taken away from the tomb. And she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that would be a reference to John, and said to them, They have taken away the, the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And so, if you put together these accounts, most uh, Bible people say that, you know, Mary Magdalene and these other women first went to the tomb, and the angel said, go tell the disciples, and, and somehow probably Mary Magdalene separated and found Peter and John, okay? And the other women kind of went to go talk to the other disciples, but we highlight now here on um, the Peter and John part, and... Um, and then Peter therefore ran at, went out and the other disciple and were both and were going to the tomb so they ran together and the other disciple outran Peter John wants us to know that he's a better athlete than Peter uh, the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first and he stooping down looking in saw the linen cloth lying there and he did not go in then Simon Peter came in following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloth lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen cloth but folded together in place by itself so everything's very orderly. There's no chaos. There's no earthquake, right, that, you know, kind of like knocked Jesus out of the tomb or whatever. Nobody stole his body. Everything's very orderly. Then the other disciple who came into the tomb first went in also, and he, all, he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary, this Mary Magdalene, so she goes, Mary Magdalene goes with those other women. The angel says, go tell, go tell the guys. Mary Magdalene goes, tells Peter and John. Uh, the other ladies go tell the other disciples. Peter and John kind of run to the tomb first, and Mary Magdalene kind of follows them back. But she's now kind of hanging back a little bit, okay? But she's hanging back a little bit. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw the two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then she said, they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Now when she'd said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be... I'm sorry, I lost him. She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. I love that. She turned to him and said, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, 
I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that she, he had spoken these things to her. Now, I believe it is highly significant that the very first person that Jesus appeared to is Mary Magdalene. Number one, in that culture, the testimony of a woman was not valid in a court of law because you can't trust them. I'm just talking about that culture. Settle down. The testimony of a woman was not valid in a court of law, but it was valid in Jesus' court of law. Not just a woman, but Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. Right? Now, demons are powerful, but Jesus is more powerful. First John tells us, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And I love this picture. This is a woman who is the first person in all of history to be met by a risen Jesus. And she's a woman who had had previously seven demons cast out of her. Let's pause there for a second. <clears throat> Do you know anybody that you feel like, they're never going to change. You ever anybody feel like you might even say something like, there's no hope for that guy? Yeah. Tracy and I were, I, got, I hope I can say this out loud. If I can't, I'm going to anyway. We're taking a walk through the woods yesterday, and somehow she said, have you, have you talked to so-and-so for a while? None, none of you guys, by the way. This is the guy that lives far away from here. You talked to so-and-so for a while? I'm like, no, I haven't. I, I kind of feel bad for that guy. Why do you feel bad for that guy? Well, because he's married to a whiner. Ladies, don't be a whiner. That's a whole other story. Guys, don't be a whiner either. He's married to a whiner. She's like, maybe she's changed. You haven't talked to her in a while either. And I'm like, okay, maybe. See what I'm saying? Even in my own mind, I'm like, she's a whiner. What's that mean? She'll always be a whiner, right? That poor guy is doomed to, if there was such a thing as purgatory, he's there. Because he's married to a whiner, Right? but maybe she's changed. You know, when you make a statement like that, and I'm just telling you just transparently, I made a statement like that even yesterday, right? In my spiritual journey, I'm telling you where I was yesterday. I'm way more sanctified than I was then. <laughs> but as of yesterday, I thought there was a person who was never going to change. Right? You ever, are we guilty of that? Yeah. Right? Who did Jesus appear to first? Mary Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. You think anybody ever said, you'll never mount anything? Yes. You think anybody might have said, yeah, I wouldn't trust your word in court? Right? This is the first woman Jesus appeared to. I think it is 
highly significant that that's how the Scripture records the story. Notice also here, she doesn't recognize him. Now, we don't know exactly why. Some commentators say she was crying so much she couldn't see through the tears, whatever. I think there's a lesson there. And again, if you think about why did God write the Bible the way he wrote the Bible, then we're free to receive the lessons from it. And here's what I think is the lesson to me. You ever feel like, I just can't see Jesus. I know he's there, but I just don't feel like I can see him clearly. Right? We all wrestle with that. Right? And here's the answer to that. I believe he addresses our blindness by simply calling us by name. Is that crazy? How does Jesus, I mean like good crazy. Is that rad? I think he, he recognizes our blindness. He doesn't say, you idiot, don't you recognize me? He never does that. He just says, Mary. And there's something about his voice. Then my brain goes to John chapter 10, right? My sheep recognize me. I'm the good shepherd. My sheep recognize me because I hear my voice, right? The voice of the Lord. They recognize my voice, right? And that, honestly, that's, you know, it's not like, oh, okay, well, that, you know, it, it's, it's a process. It's a process of a relationship, right? Just like any relationship, it's a process of the relationship, but it's, it's a sweet picture, I believe, that she doesn't recognize him, and then he just simply says the word Mary, and she totally recognizes him. So much so that she worships him, and then she wants to cling to him. Again, do we know why she clings to him, and he says, no, don't cling to me? I, I don't think we know like exactly all that's in that, but one thing that I think is all that's in that, as soon as I do recognize Jesus... Like, let's say, I, let's say I'm crying so much, or I'm, in, I'm distraught, or I'm challenged, or whatever, and I don't recognize Jesus, and he calls me by name, and I do recognize him, and it's like this hallelujah mountaintop experience. What do I then want to do? I want to I drive the ship now. I want, now I got my Jesus right where I want him, right? I, I want to I hang on to him and not let go. I want to I, I tell him what to do. You ever tell Jesus what to do? Right? I want to tell him what to do and where he's going to, oh, now you're going to fix my problem and, and now you're going to uh, attend to my need and you're going to fix that thing that I'm, that I'm you know, makes me feel like I'm a loser or an outcast or whatever like that. And, 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 and he says, no, I love you personally. I died for you personally. I rose from the dead to the living for you personally. But I'm still God and you're still person right and in reality if you think about it we wouldn't want it any other way right we don't want to rule the world <laughs> we don't even want to rule our lives really if we have any insight at all we do not want to be the ones to rule our own lives and so i love this he just he just graciously 
kind of goes through this. So, what else does he do? Uh, let's go over to Matthew chapter 28. <clears throat> Just briefly. So that was the Mary Magdalene part. Went and told James and John. I'm sorry, Peter and John. And what about those other women? Uh, sort of a same story, different perspective. Matthew 28, we'll pick it up in verse 9. Uh, after, the, after the angels told the ladies to go uh, talk to the disciples and Peter, uh, it says, And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will meet me. So um, most commentators say she met, he met Mary, and then he meets these other women. And so, again, the idea that he's meeting women, right, is not insignificant, right? I mean, women, I mean, I don't want to go off on it too much, but women have been marginalized in many cultures throughout history. And um, again, uh, Jesus thinks their, their testimony is valid in court. And so um, he wanted to make a statement with that, I believe. And then sometime later that day, so we're still on the, you know, the day of the resurrection. Sometime later that day, um, he met Peter. There's other references to that, uh, but we don't really have the details of that meeting. And then later that evening, Luke chapter 24. He meets two guys. And again, just think about this. If I were Jesus and I rose from the dead, like my first day, my first day of resurrection, I'm probably going to gather the 500 people, right? And I'm going to implement a plan by which they're going to tell everybody that, I'm, that I've risen and I'm going to do this. And I would have a pretty, I mean, I'm not a very organized guy, but I would, I'd be on my A game for that day, right? I'd, or, I'd have an organized strategy. Jesus meets Mary Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. He meets these other ladies. He meets Peter, but we, have no even, we don't even have any details of that one. And then that evening, like, just because, he shows up and has a conversation with two downcast guys on a road to Emmaus, one of whom we don't even know his name. Right? You get the idea? Personal. Individuals. Right? That's the take-home take message for today. But anyway, let's read about it. Um, verse 13, Luke 24. Now behold, two of them, two guys, were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. So, and as they walked, they talked together of all these things that had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Again, we don't know how that was. Or, but anyway, we just know that, right? We don't need to know how that was. We just need to know that. And he said to them, 
What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and the rulers, our rulers, delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. See, the masses, the nation. We were hoping he was going to fix our political problem. Is he going to fix their political problem? Well, eventually. We talked about that last week. Yeah, he'll fix their political problem eventually, right? But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day <coughs> excuse me, since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those women were, were with us, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And then he said to them, O foolish ones of, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wouldn't you love to heard that? Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther, but he const they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened in, on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now, if you're really astute and you um, uh, want to critique this story, the 11 was a reference to the disciples minus Judas, okay? Because we know from other accounts, and again, I don't think this is a contradiction, okay? But I just tell you this for disclosure, um, uh, Thomas was not in that gathering, okay? So you're without Thomas and you're without Judas, right? So technically it was 10, right? But the 11 is a reference to, like, the group, the guys, right? They were there. And so, these guys, so anyway, so all that to say, what do we know from this encounter with these guys? Number one, they were hoping that it was Jesus who was going to redeem Israel. What did they need? What do these guys need? Political redemption? What was their most 
I'll give you a hint. I'll, I'll lead you down to the right answer. So don't worry, right? What was their greatest eternal need from the day they were born, having been descended from Adam and Eve? Salvation. Salvation. They were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel politically, right? Do you ever come to Jesus with what you think is your need, and you don't really know what your need is, right? And maybe you, maybe you find out about it later. Maybe you never find out about it. But you think you have a need. I wish Jesus would fix this. And you get discouraged, understandably. I mean, these guys are discouraged, right? You get discouraged, understandably, because Jesus didn't fix this. But can I encourage us from the Scripture, from the pages of Scripture, your problem may be this, and it may be, Something much greater or much different than this. Who knows your, your need greater than you do? Jesus. So who can meet that need? Jesus. Right? And so these guys were hoping that he would be their political victor, but he was so much more than that. So much more than that. And let me just say, when we have in our mind what Jesus needs to fix in our lives, we infinitely minimize the person of Jesus. It's really blasphemous to, if you think about it, it's blasphemous to think of Jesus any less than he is, right? And if we think of Jesus as like the perfect, like, wouldn't it be awesome if he like ran for president, right? Well, yeah, that'd be awesome. But to limit him to like, oh, he'd make a great president, I mean, that infinitely downgrades him, right? And so these guys, they were downgrading Jesus. And what did he do? He just graciously, you know, he did, I'll I'll give you credit, uh, you know, I'll I'll grant you that he did say, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, right? So he gave them that, right? Probably because they needed that, right? But he read, verse 27, he redirects their thinking by revealing the scripture, right? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Can I tell you how often, how often, how often I encounter somebody who is downcast or frustrated or discouraged or whatever and really A lot of it is because they don't fully understand the goodness of God. They don't fully understand the God that is revealed in these pages. And so therefore, they draw conclusions about him that are frankly not fully accurate. You ever know like part of something about somebody and you draw a conclusion about them that's not accurate? Sure, sure you do. Sure you do. We all do that. And so, you know, these guys, they needed to be redirected. And the way they were redirected was by the Scripture. And then finally, Jesus reveals himself in the breaking of bread. What was the breaking of bread in those days? It was a picture of fellowship. Fellowship. So how do we get a, how do we get a right understanding of Jesus? How do, we, how do we get a right um, redirection of who Jesus is and how he's going to meet our need and what our needs are and all of that kind of stuff? 
through fellowship with him and through understanding through his word. Right? And these guys then, when it's all said and done, they're so, they're so stoked. They forget about dinner. It's, you know, it's evening time now. They're seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And they decide they're going to run back and they're going to tell everybody else. So, pick it up, verse 36. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. The disciples, he said, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marvel, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. So he demonstrated to them that he was alive, that he was uh, manifest in their presence. So you get the idea? He's meeting these people along the road. There's one, less, there's one last super discouraged guy that needs to be enlightened, right? What's his name? Peter. John 21. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. Bear with me, we'll read about Peter for a minute, and then we'll wrap up. All right? John 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. That would be up in Galilee now. So a few days have gone by. We don't know exactly how many. I'm sorry, I skipped one. I skipped one. Thomas. Thomas wasn't at the first meeting, right? John 20, we'll just read this quickly. Verse 26, after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said, Thomas, reach your finger in here and look at my hands and reach your hand in here. Put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Right? And so Thomas had previously, when the disciples had met Jesus that first night, right? Thomas said, if I don't see, if I don't put my hands in his, in his hands and in his side, I'm not going to believe. Jesus meets him eight days later and does just that, right? Again, Jesus meets us where we're at. Jesus meets us where we're at. What does religion tell us we need to do? Religion tells us we need to reach a certain level of uh, purity before Jesus can, before we can have fellowship with Jesus, right? You got you to gotta hit a certain mark before you're good enough for Jesus, right? Now, none of us really think that, right? We know better than that. But subconsciously, do we maybe think that a little bit? Like, I need to, you know, I just feel like Jesus can't love me until I get myself cleaned up a little bit more, right? Where was Thomas? Thomas was at a point of disbelief. Jesus met him right there. Jesus met him right there. So back to Peter. 
chapter 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias up in Galilee. And in this way, he showed himself. So, you know, we get this, uh, John's given us the narrative. This is how Jesus decided to show himself. I love that kind of description. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Now that's a significant statement right there. I'm going fishing. Because Jesus, in Luke chapter 5, had met, G- had met Peter the fisherman, did a miraculous uh, catch of fish, just like he's going to do here, and then he said, from now on, you'll be a fisher of men. You're not going to go fishing for fish anymore. You're going to be a fisher of men. And yet, after the resurrection, Jesus is alive. The disciples know he's alive. He's met Peter individually on one occasion, at least, that we know of. And yet, so it's like Peter's a Christian, right? So like us, Peter knows the resurrected Jesus. Peter's met the resurrected Jesus. But there's something about him that just says, and Peter even knows what Jesus had previously told him about, you're no longer going to be a fisherman, you're going to be a fisher of men. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. You ever feel like throwing in the towel? Go back to your old life? You know, I knew how to do whatever back in the day. I think I'll just go back and do that. This ministry thing, this Christian life, this um, trying to put one foot in front of the other. I'm just going fishing. You ever feel like that? Guess what? Guess what? If you ever feel like that, you know what you need to do? Get yourself right and then Jesus will meet you. Right? No. He meets you right there. He meets you right there. He meets you right there. So Peter says, I'm going fishing. They said, hey, we'll go too. Because Peter is a man of influence, right? Like it or not, he's a man of influence, positive or negatively. And so they went out and immediately got in the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. So it's interesting. This is the exact same miracle that Jesus did back in Luke chapter 5 when Jesus met Peter. I love this. I love this. Sometimes when you're at your point of discouragement, all Jesus needs to do is a little more of what he's already done, right? When you're at the point of discouragement, do you really need some like fancy new insight, some, some new theological truth? No. You just need an encounter with Jesus. And oftentimes, you just do what he did before. Nothing fancy. Just do what he did before. Just a guy on the shore. They don't even recognize him at, the, at first. Just a guy on the shore saying, hey, throw the net on the other side. And they do it, and they catch all these fish. And therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he'd removed it, plunged it into the sea. But the other disciples came in 
the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits. So Peter is enthusiastic to, to see Jesus after this miracle. Peter is now encouraged, but he still has a little bit of learning to do here. Dragging the net with fish, and then as soon as the, they had come to land, they saw a fire and coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you just caught. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he had raised from the dead. Great story. So Peter's discouraged, even though Jesus had already met him, right? You may be discouraged, even though Jesus has already met you, right? Jesus curiously does for Peter the same miracle he did before. I love that. And then Jesus equips Peter for what he knows that Peter will need. I want you to notice this. Peter's going to be a minister, right? Peter's going to be a preacher. Peter's going to be a... Talk about moving the masses. Peter's going to preach a sermon, and 3,000 people are going to get saved in the first day, Right? Peter's going to move the masses. Man, this guy needs to go to seminary. Right? He's got a lot to learn if he's going to manage this kind of responsibility. He needs to be schooled. Right? Jesus is going to school him. So when they'd eaten breakfast, Simon, and Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? I love this because here's what I said. Here's, I mean, I go to pastor's conferences, Right? Pastors get up and talk to other pastors and other people and just, you know, anybody that'll listen. But oftentimes they'll, they'll talk about, and by the way, who's the minister in this room? Who's the minister in this room? Just me? The guy at the podium, right? We all are. We're all ministers. Anybody who's had an encounter with Jesus, like Mary Magdalene, is a minister. Please get that. What, to me, that's a whole other story. To me, one of the greatest blessings of this church is that you all are ministers and you all act like ministers. And if it all fell on me, it'd be a pretty pathetic ship going down. <laughs> right? That's just, that's a, that's a side note. But we're all ministers. And so, you know, I go to these pastor's conferences and they'll, you know, this is how you do this. And, that, and it's good. It's good. But I always think of this. I think of these verses, verse, uh, you know, 15 to 17, as the greatest pastor's conference ever delivered by anybody. Here's how Peter gets schooled for ministry. Hey, Simon, do you love me more than these? And we don't know if more than these means more than the other disciples or more than the fish or whatever, but basically, do you love me? He says, you know I love you. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. He said to him again, second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. 
He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter's grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So a couple things. What's Peter's education that he needs for ministry? Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Here's how it works. Feed. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every what? Word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When Jesus was tempted in the desert, he said, it is written, in response to any temptation that came his way. It is written, it is written, it is written. What do I do? What's my job up here? Feed us. What do I feed us? Feed us the word. And ham and chicken salad afterwards. But for now, the word right? I feed us the word, right? And what do we do for one another? We tend one another, right? Not just me, because I'm very inadequate at it, but all of us for one another. We tend one another, right? Feed my lambs. That's the little sheep. That's the baby sheep, right? Sometimes baby sheep need baby teaching. That's okay. Tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And why do we do that? Please notice this. This is, this is so absolutely critical. Why do we do this? We do this in response to, do you love me? We don't do it to attain some kind of, like being worthy of his love or being worthy of having a relationship with him or of loving him. We do it in response to yeah, I love you. And why do I love you? Because of your goodness. And so the order is important, but the, the education is important. He says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And Peter needs no further instruction than that. And honestly, we would do well to keep it that simple. So, Jesus is risen. Okay? Jesus is risen. That means he overcame death. That means we have forgiveness for sin. It's by grace you've been saved, not of works, lest any man should boast, Ephesians tells us, right? It means that we can spend eternity in heaven. That's what the resurrection means. To those of us who say, yes, I believe in Jesus. I want Jesus, I want the grace of from Jesus Christ, the salvation, the forgiveness of sins applied to my life. Lord, please come into my life and forgive me of my sins. That's what's required to go to heaven, right? But what else does the resurrection mean as we understand it in the revealing of his word? I think it means that he loves to meet our needs personally, individually, and intimately according to our needs. So I think of it like this. If Jesus were here, in light of what we've read today, if Jesus were here physically today, what would he say to you? You ever think about that? What would he say to you? I really believe according to these words. Number one, he'd call you by name. And when he calls you by name, he's revealing to you that he knows you and that he loves you. He would call you by name. 
when he went into the disciples there in Luke, um, after the guys from Emmaus went back, first thing he said was, peace to you. I think he would say to you, peace to you. You know what I don't think he would say? I don't think he would necessarily say, I'm going to fix your situation that you're uptight about right now. Because what he has for us is so much greater than that thing. So he'd call us by name. He would say, peace to you. I think he'd graciously meet us at our point of disbelief and our frailty and our failure, just like he did with Thomas, just like he did with Peter. I think he would remind us that he takes good care of us. And then I think he would remind, and then I think he would encourage us to care for others, to feed his lambs. By the way, they're not our lambs. Feed his lambs. Tend his sheep. Feed his sheep. Right? All in a very, very individual, personal, knowing everything there is about you more than you know yourself and still loving you anyway, personal kind of a way. Do we serve a good God? Amen. Amen. Yes. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are risen. And we thank you for these, these ways that you have revealed your resurrected self to your people. Thank you for just the work you did in Mary Magdalene's life and the example that is for us. Thank you for the work you did on those guys on the road to Emmaus who thought they had a political problem. Thank you for what you did to Thomas, who didn't even believe you were alive, despite firsthand testimony. Thank you what you did to Peter, who was very discouraged, having denied that he even knew you. Lord, thanks that you meet each of us where we need to be met. Thanks that you attend to our needs. Thanks that you take good, good care of us. And Lord, I pray that as you, as you do that work in our hearts, you give us a testimony that we can share with others, that we wouldn't just keep it and hang on to it, but that we would go out with a desire to tend your sheep and feed your sheep in a way that brings glory and honor to you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.